Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. We help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza! You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. Today on the show, we have the third appearance of my friend and creative superstar, Lisa Congdon. This episode is straight fire. We talk about how to find your artistic voice because Lisa has a new book out called Find Your Artistic Voice in which I play a very small role, um, one of the interviews in the book. The book is fantastic. It's beautiful. I think it's a, it, an easy thing to devour and I think it has potential to massively impact your ability to get in touch with your creative voice. I want to talk about that more in a second, but before I do, I got to let you know, yesterday marked the five-year anniversary of this podcast. Five years ago, October 14th, I launched the first episode of Creative Pep Talk. And... uh, (laughs) I'm actually getting emotional right now, um, which feels silly. I didn't plan what to say for this because I just wanted it to uh, come from my heart. And I, I don't know what to say other than thank you. 
I will say one thing, showing up week after week, trying to create a podcast and some podcast artwork has had such a dramatic impact on me that I never expected. When I made this podcast, I was a full-time illustrator and my intention was to have an impact on you. Never in my wildest dreams did I think the podcast was going to have such a wild impact on me on a personal level. Making this much work, saying this much stuff in my creative work had such a profound impact on me. And I never saw that coming. It changed how I saw myself. It got me in touch. It excavated so much of my internal world that I didn't even know was there. And I think that it's fitting that this would be the episode that we would do five years into the show because I think nothing more than this podcast has got me in touch with my creative voice. I love this quote by Epictetus that says, you can't learn what you think you already know. And when you try to create work in your voice, then you don't give yourself the chance to find it because to try to create it in your voice is to assume that you already know what it is instead of looking, you know, searching your insides with the creative work. Instead of seeing your creative work as an expression of your voice, see it as a tool for excavation. Because if you think you already have it, you'll never find it. If you show up and make from the place of, what am I gonna learn next about my voice? What am I gonna find inside of me that I didn't know was there? If you always start with that mindset of a beginner and never believe that you arrive, you will live more and more into your creative voice over time. And I think this conversation with my friend Lisa is the perfect icing of the cake of five years of creative pep talk because it gets to the heart of so many of the core values of this show. Lisa is a huge inspiration to me. There's not many people I know. I don't have many friends that are as self-actualized as she is and as in tune with their creative voice as she is. She's a constant inspiration to me. I couldn't be more happier to celebrate five years of the show than with a chat that I had with her. And this talk is so good. I can't wait to share it with you. Why do I keep talking? Let's just get to it. Here she is, Lisa Congdon. You think it's okay? I think you're totally fine. Okay. You're just being too mellow. All right. I'm going to get... Woo! Let's do it. Yeah, all right. Yeah, look, there's the stuff. Thanks, man. Thanks for getting me out of my shell. The non-technological solution. Just bring up your energy. (laughs) All right. Uh, Hi. Hi. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for doing this. Of course. Um, I'm glad that you're here in my room. Yes, we are together. Yeah, it's so much better that way. Uh... And we're doing our event tonight. We which are. I'm super pumped about. Yeah. And me we're too. celebrating your book. Thank you for bringing me here to celebrate my book. Yeah. I, uh, I have plenty of good questions, hopefully, for you. And I wanted to kick it off with uh, hopefully a simple question, but um, it's 
why did you write this book? Why did you write Find Your Artistic Voice? Well, there's sort of a practical answer and then there's the sort of deeper answer. So actually, a few years ago, I did a survey. I think it was on Instagram and it might have even had some like Google Doc attached to it so my followers could fill out the survey. Mm -hmm. But it was basically like, what do you want to learn from me? And one of the top things that came up was finding your style. Not necessarily finding your voice, but some iteration of that question came up a lot. And so uh, initially I just, I wasn't thinking of it in terms of like what book do I want to write, but more potentially a class or a blog post. Mm. So I wrote a blog post that was like (laughs) two pages from this book or the equivalent of that. What two pages? Like, less? like, like, it was huge? like no, oh. no, meaning oh, like, like, like two pa- actual pages. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, it yeah. was so condensed, and I really didn't. I understood at that moment that I didn't really know what I was talking about. Mm. Um, not that I don't have anything to say about finding your artistic voice, because you know I obviously do. But like, I, I realized I had a lot to learn. So um, simultaneously, my editor read that blog post and said, "I don't think this is a blog post. I think this is a book." And I was like, do you really think I have 30,000 words to say about this topic? (laughs) And she's like, I do. Why don't you come up with a proposal? So that's a sort of practical answer. The the deeper answer is that um, I am somebody who reflects a lot on my own journey. Like sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm like, how did I get here? Yeah. Like, um, 10 years ago. Like when you wake up in an alley and. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Um, How how did I. How did I get here? Um, And, you know, because 20 years ago, I like took my first art class and I was like most people who take their first art class. Um, You know, I was very much a beginner. I thought of the journey that I was on at the time was more sort of self-discovery. I had gone through a breakup of a major relationship. I left my job to, um, to, uh, actually left my job as a teacher to go work at a nonprofit organization. So I wasn't, you know, that was a big shift. And so I was sort of like in this place where I was trying to figure out who I was and I discovered art in the process, but I never imagined it would be my career. Yeah. Lots of things unfolded that sort of, you know, made it my career years later. But um, I often think, like, how did I go from this person who actually never as a child or even a teenager had very much interest in being a creative person or making art? I wasn't one of those nerdy art kids. Yeah. I was actually the kid who was, like, playing outside um, with all of the other kids. You know, I was definitely creative in my make-believe and all of that, but I wasn't necessarily, like, holed up in my room drawing in my sketchbook. Yeah. Um, so I never was pinned as, like, the creative kid. And um, so really for the first time, I was exploring this part of myself and it unleashed something in me that was um, that I couldn't contain. And so eventually it became my professional life as well. I went, you know, from being this total beginner to over 20 years having a fully formed voice and having this really thriving professional career. So it's actually the topic of finding your voice is super interesting to me just on a personal level. Like yeah. how did that happen for me when I didn't go to art school? I didn't study art. I sort of, I'm very much a self-taught person. I definitely took advantage of the internet, but you know, how did I get here? And so I started to unpack that. I also 
was super interested in creativity as a topic. Like what does the research say about how to, how the creative brain works and yeah. how does that play into finding your voice? And I also was interested in what other people had to say. So the book is filled with interviews. Um, there's 10 interviews with 11 people because one of them is with two people who work together on projects. And um, what do they have to say about voice and how is that the same as or different from the way I've thought about it? So, um, so I spent a couple of years just researching, writing, exploring, interviewing, and came up with some conclusions that, that then became the book. Yeah. That, so I want to run back to something you said at the start and then go into the kind of deeper yeah. philosophical stuff. Uh, at the start, you were talking about how this thing was a blog before it was mm -hmm. anything else. And also, so I'm very interested in this idea. I've kind of pushed hardcore against the classic creative notion that you shouldn't listen to your audience. You shouldn't. And now, now I, it's a nuanced thing that I'm saying, and I could believe me, I have hours online trying to explain what I mean by that. But, um, but I find it really interesting that this book that is fantastic. It's doing super well. It's, uh, um, it's on yeah, its fifth it's, printing. Yeah, it's and it's only been out for a month and a and half. I find it super. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I find it super interesting that it started with a survey from your audience, and I, and I, and then also a blog post. And I feel like um, there's a lot to be said about how to approach listening to your audience, how to also approach, you know, what I call writing on stage, which is what comedians do, which is mm -hmm. instead of, you know, going into a cabin and writing their comedy set, they write it on stage over time. They workshop it on stage and they get that feedback loop and it, it informs what mm -hmm. they do. And I think that, um, that I'm just curious how, how you feel about those things, like one, listening to your audience, how that informs your work and how it informed this book. And then on top of that, uh, also, how you kind of create publicly. As instead, like a lot, of, another thing that creative people do is they have all these ideas, but they keep them to themselves. They don't make a blog post. Um, you know, they don't talk about it to their audience. They, they, they try to, and, they, and usually it just doesn't turn into anything because they're just holding on to it. Um, there are two different topics, but I wanted to explore both. The first one is listen to your audience. How has that what's your relationship to that how have you found it to be a healthy thing for your career does that make sense of as yeah, a question and a lot of people ask me i mean one of the most this is a very simplistic way to ask the same question yeah um but a lot of people will say please do you, put it in a nutshell you, for do me you, do you make art for instagram for example <laughs> right. is what yeah. some people okay will say. yeah um and so or how do you deal with the pressure of feeling like you're making work for an audience. And so the first thing I say is I wouldn't have a career without my audience. Totally. Um, because yeah. I came into this at a time when um, uh, the internet was the place where I could actually build a career. So it was dependent on finding my audience. And part of finding your voice is, I I don't talk about it explicitly in the book because this is less about having a, perf that book is less about having a professional career yeah. and more about sort of like finding your artistic voice. But um, certainly in a professional, from a professional perspective, um, f finding who, what I'm about as an artist has helped me find people who are, 
either about the same thing or want to consume what I, and I don't necessarily mean monetarily only. I just mean. They want to experience it. They want to experience it. Um, So that um, process was super important to me. And so I talk a lot about things in terms of Venn diagrams. Mm-hmm. They'll, yeah, they'll be, they'll be one in my talk tonight. Yeah. Um, and so I make all kinds of Venn diagrams that, it, that try to explain how I feel about things. Cause it's never just one thing, right? Like it's like the merging of things. And I, do, I haven't made a Venn diagram about this in particular thing, but I've, but I've, but I probably should. But in my head, there's this Venn diagram where one of the circles is, um, you know, what I love to do or what I love to make or the issues or that are important to me or what I want to make work about that, that comes from my own experience or, you know, about things that I value. Yeah. And then another one of the circles is, um, what my audience finds interesting. Yeah. And so I'm constantly trying to figure out where those two things overlap. And there's probably a couple other circles that need to overlap also. Sure. I don't want to oversimplify it or over explain it, but I'm trying to always find the sweet spot between what's interesting to me, what I'm passionate about, what I want to make work about, and what other people are interested in hearing from me. Um, and and I actually enjoy that process. I don't, me too. I don't find it selling out. I don't find it minimizing. I, I certainly am very vocal about things that a lot of people disagree with. So, sure. so it's yeah. not like I'm trying to pander to everyone. I'm just trying to figure out, like, what are the things that, you know. And so part of... Um, Actually, when I did that survey, it was sort of in the beginning of my, me really sort of figuring out that that's how Instagram was working for me. And so um, that survey was sort of part of that. And it wasn't necessarily like how I'm in a structure, what I post every day for my audience. It was more like what books or classes or, you know, blog posts do I want to write that where people can learn from me? Because I feel like um, I feel part of my value system is you know, my career was built on the generosity of people who are on the backs of people who, who came before me. And yeah. I feel an obligation and a joy actually in giving that back to other people. And so part of it also for me is like this sense of service that I have. So maybe that's another circle in my Venn diagram, right? Like, um, that I have some sense of wanting to give back. And, um, so, so I so so it feels good to me, and I think that that's what most people struggle with is like figuring out a formula for them for their online presence, which is let's face it, how you promote yourself as an artist sure. and yep. sustain your career these days. Um, figuring out a formula that feels good to them um, and feels authentic. I, I hate that word because it gets overused, but you know what I mean. Lost like, its saltiness, yeah. but yes, yeah. and. Um, and that my, is people will see me post one of my Venn diagrams and they'll say, can I get a print of this? And I said, no, because that's my Venn diagram. Right. <laughs> you go make your own yeah. because it is in an, it, it might look similar to mine, sure. but like really this is about what y- you want to figure out for yourself. And, um, so I don't know if that answered your question. Oh, it's but. so good. I love it. <laughs> I, I wrote like eight notes. Um, so, okay. One of the things you said that I find really interesting is the people that, Look, I think, you know, you don't have to make art as a career that 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 you can make art and it's not a career and that's great. But if you want to make a career, it seems to me that the people that are interested in art as a service to humanity, not necessarily like goods and services, but kind of a little bit that this idea of 
uh, I think tapping into the notion that we're like social animals, we're inextricably linked. Like our happiness is linked to serving and help. And you know, that's like an evolutionary thing. And I, you you mentioned the word service of like, uh, serving your audience. Like there you find joy and, and peace and fulfillment from showing up and providing something for them. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. And what, okay. So that leads me to the next question of, you also said something I've been thinking a lot about and in a short list of maybe 10 people, you're one of these people I've been thinking about. Part of the reason I think you are so uh, loved by your audience is that they know what you're about. And, and I've, told you last night, I've been thinking about the difference between a bad artist and a good artist is probably craft and skill, stuff like that, taste. But then from good to great, I think it has more to do with they're in touch with their values and they know what they're about. That's the exact same word I used that you just said is that you, you know what you're about. How did you, how did you find, cause it sounds like you're saying what you're about influences and impacts and informs your artistic voice. Yes. How did you figure that out? Because I feel like, obviously, it's not a destination. It's a journey. You're always going to be learning. But you seem to be very self-actualized. And I, it's something I respect about you. And I'm very inspired by, you know, you know a lot of things that you're about. You might not know at all, at all but you, you do. How did, that, how did that come about? Was it through making stuff? Well, yes, but also you have to remember that I didn't even pick up a, a paintbrush until I was like 32 years old. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I still I say 31 or 32 because I can't exactly remember. Sure. Um, so, and I'm 50, I almost said 52. I'm not 52 yet. I'm 51 right. now. So <laughs> for 20 years I've been, so, but also um, I had already lived 32 years, right? which is actually beyond mm. when most people start making art. So by the time I started my art career when I was 39, and then uh, by the time I sort of had a visible presence on social media when I was in my 40s, um, I had had a lot of life experience both doing other things yeah. and in making art. And um, years of therapy, years of um, understanding sort of the role of politics in my own life um, and privilege and all of those things, right? Like, and, and I had had a lot of time to reflect on those. And I think, you know, a lot of people get scared that they're too old, right? right? Or, you know, like I'm sort of a role model for women in particular who are embarking on a career after 40 or yeah. starting something new later in life, right? And, um, but I always tell those people, like, you bring so much wisdom and you know who you are yeah. in a way that I didn't know who I was in my 20s or even into my 30s. So so I think part of that, what you describe as self-actualization, is actually just the, the accumulation of years of lived experience. Mm. And I have this perspective, like, I still freak out. I still have anxiety, sure. all those things. But I also have this perspective that calms me down pretty quickly, which is like, I've gotten through a million hard things before I'll get yeah. through this, or, um, I'm really scared right now, but I know nothing terrible is going to happen if I put this out into the world or, yeah. you know, so I think that's also part of it. And I think some of it too is, um, uh, just part of being online is this sort of, um, 
scary thing for a lot of people to sort of like take a stand on anything, even mm-hmm. if it's something that seems really banal or undisputable. Yeah. Um, like love as a topic or, you know, and yet people are terrified to take a stand on anything because we live in this very divided, you know, there's just sort of people are afraid of, you know, expressing their values. Yeah. And, um, and I am totally human too. So I, when I first started using my platform and my art to sort of like talk about topics that were some of them not even controversial but like more vulnerable for me to talk about um I was also terrified but the more I did it the more I realized that my connection with my audience grew as opposed to the opposite which is what I was terrified that I was going to alienate people or that people were going to think I was a weirdo or whatever and so I learned through being vulnerable that that was like the basis for connection with my audience and um and as you say, you know, I have a following that is um, that is really a loving following for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, I have some questioners and I'm sure people who are on the fence about me and what I stand for. And that's totally fine. And yeah, but, you know, for the most part, I have this really devoted following. And part of that is um, not that I'm some sort of guru, but that I because I don't want to be that at all to people. In fact, sure. most of the time I'm talking about what I don't know and what I'm still trying to figure out myself yep. versus like, this is, this is, you know, how you should be. And this is how I live my life or whatever. Um, and, uh, I think people find some sort of like comfort in that, um, and connection in that. And I, um, it's such a gratifying thing. And also to your point earlier, like I talk a lot about like creativity is power, right? And it's important to use it for good. And I began to understand that the stuff I was making was impacting people's lives and, um, and that I wanted to do more of that. And so part of showing up online for me or making work for an audience is making work for an audience that isn't, that maybe even challenges the way people think about things. It's, it's actually, I think some of the stuff I talk about is challenging for people. Mm-hmm. It's actually somewhat controversial. And I don't even mean my political posts. I mean sure. like just, you know, um, and that, that that's part of why people show up also is that they're, they're not just hearing like wispy feel good quotations. They're hearing ideas yeah. that challenge the way they've thought about themselves or their boundaries or you know, other things. Yeah. That it reminds me also when you're talking about age, one of the things that was really frustrating to me when I was in my twenties or in college, uh, and I didn't realize why I was frustrated by it, but I would have, we'd have visiting artists or we'd have our teachers tell us, you just need to be yourself in the work. And at the time I didn't know why that was driving me nuts. But then now I see that I knew I don't know who I am. Yeah. How can I be? That's myself? why it drove you nuts. Yes. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Like, and that, that clearly is, uh, an advantage for people that have gone, you know, been here longer. Exactly. Yeah. Part of my talk tonight is this just tiny little blip about, I think, um, this, uh, you know, like, when I first started making art, I, you know, that, you know, basically your, your, your voice is your story. One aspect of your voice is your story. And so when I started making art, like, or until I started making art, I thought I had no story. I thought it was just like this boring, you know, (laughs) upper middle class white girl who had nothing important to say. And, um, 
And the minute I started creating, like all this stuff was pouring out of me and, um, and into my work. And I real it like the creative process itself made me realize like I do have something to say and these ideas matter. And then I f- eventually got the confidence to share them. Yeah. So I think my work has become a little bit um, like more complex over the years too, just because I have the confidence to use my work to express my like, you know, my core values or my vulnerabilities or all those things that we're scared to express. Yeah. The uh, early on you said you had talked about maybe the first question or the question that you got back from your audience was on style mm-hmm. and uh, you know you chose to use the word voice and I, I don't know if you've heard Tim Goodman say this but it I come back I talk about it all the time in the podcast I'm like that's it and it, he talked about how uh, don't be so concerned about how you say it concern yourself about what you're going to say because that will color to me I think about like form follows function what's mm-hmm. the function of what you're trying to say and that will influence how you're going to say it and and let that lead the way and so I feel like voice kind of speaks to that um that was a pun on accident but um <laughs> and uh the but uh how did you as a person because I think of um I'm just going to explain a little bit more. I wish I could say this in a nutshell, uh, but I can't. Um, I think about Be how, you, Andy. all right, I'm trying, I'm try- I don't know who I am, <laughs> uh, but I, I feel like, um, one of the things I've realized over time making stuff for an audience is that they use my work as shorthand for their identity. Like we do that with creative stuff of saying, I don't know how to explain who I am, but it's that, it's that art, that band, it's that, and, it, and it's people that don't spend their lives making art, um, either because they don't want to or they don't have time. We're like doing the work for them. I feel like like that's part of the service. Um, and I wonder if how do you? Because I went through that process. Not I haven't gone through it, but I I've like started to develop. These are my buckets that this is what I'm about. And there's a few different ones, like neurodiversity is one for me that I think about all the time. It means something to me. It's a hill that I will die on. Um, how, how did you determine some of those things? Cause I think a lot of people that know you, if I said Lisa Congdon, I feel like all of your fans would say, if I said, what is she about? They would say this, this, right, this, and this. they know. Yeah. yeah. How do you feel like you came about n- knowing what your palette is in that kind of way? Yeah. I mean, I think personal experience, like yeah. everything I talk about and feel passionately about is something I've experienced personally. And I do think that like, if you try to get on a platform and make art about or speak about something you don't have personal experience with, yeah. it's gonna fall flat yeah. anyway. Not just for your audience, but for you. And I think fortunately most people don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think ultimately we all sort of talk about things that we've personally struggled with or overcome right, or are in the process of overcoming. And um, that's definitely true for me. So um, most of the stuff I talk about online is stuff that I I either struggled with a lot when I was a younger woman yeah, um, in a world that is, um, that often, you know, where women don't feel they have a voice or um, that they can, that they, they're doing living their life differently than how they want to because they're afraid Mm. um and also what i continue to work on or what i you know like you and i are both pretty spiritual people and so like the 
this idea of sort of having these awakenings periodically where we figure something out mm-hmm. and it like fills us up, right? And that is often the basis for what I'm talking about or making work about. Like I'll have some big aha moment yeah. or a series of moments or I'll read something that just blows my mind or I'll see some piece of art and then I'll dig into it and I realize that the artist was making it because they were going through this thing that was like super similar to something I went through. And like, I understand like, that's why I was drawn to that or I'll read a poem that, you know, blows my mind or whatever. And like, those are the moments that, that I think, um, drive a lot of the work that I make. Um, or I'll hear somebody talk about something or I'll, you know, and, and I, I, I carry around a notebook so I'm constantly writing things down that I hear or that I think or that occur to me. Um, when I don't have my notebook, I have my phone, the yeah. notes on my phone, if I ever lost them. Because yeah, I still go back dense. to them. Yeah. 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 So I don't just think those things. I write them down and then I start thinking about like, what could I do with this idea? What can I make? What can I, what can, you know, what, what piece of art can I make? And sometimes the art has the wor- those actual words in it. Sure. And sometimes it doesn't. It's just representational and symbolic. Yep. The, uh, it, it also sounds like you're saying uh, experiences, but also uh, doing the inner work and the personal development on a personal level goes hand in hand with yeah. learning. You can't, you can't develop your voice without like being without exploration and and um uh sean quells who i interview in the book talks about like developing your vocabulary and i love that and when he Mm. said that i was like yes like you can't have a voice it's like you it's like when you learn another language and that's a great i'm going to talk about this tonight too like learning a language is very similar to developing your artistic skill because you have to get to the point where you develop fluency and then Mm. things start to flow for you but until you get to that point there's a struggle right and you have to be in the struggle the struggle never really goes away it just gets easier so you have to like in the beginning you have to that's what separates those of us who have made professional careers out of and or and or people who just make art all the time from the people who think about it but don't do it is like Mm. we have gotten really good at just sitting in the fear right and so but part of um coming up with ideas and you know a lot of times one of the questions i get is like how do you know what to draw like how do you come up with these ideas Mm -hmm. and um it's always something i read a movie i saw um a podcast i listened to um, a class I took, um, some rabbit hole I went down on the internet yeah. um, that was inspiring to me. Um, I also go down rabbit holes that have zero relationship to my artwork, <laughs> yeah. like true crime rabbit holes. <laughs> um, so like not everything I'm obsessed with ends up in my artwork, but like a lot of it does. And that's part of being an artist is like always expanding your mind and being open to new ideas and learning and reading and listening and watching and being observant and being open and like literally having binoculars on all of the time. And, um, and that's what I think I both struggle with as somebody who works a lot, right. Finding the time to be, to do, to do all those things. And also the thing that's sort of helped my work progress is that, um, is that I have a certain level of openness and to learning and reading and absorbing things from the outside world. Yeah. The, I just want to mark this because it is blowing my mind that idea of 
you know, flow state in your work is a equal to fluency in a language. Like you can't, like if you're thinking about talking because you don't know the words enough, you can't get into a good conversation where it's flowing, right? right. And the same goes for your medium of right. choice. Or your, That's amazing. Yes, yeah, that was God. an analogy that I thought of while actually while I was writing this book. And yeah. I think some of it came from, I think I had recommended to you a few years ago this book, Wired to Create. Uh-huh. And yeah. um, I, I quote the authors of that book. It's a research book on, on creativity. And they talk about like all of these things Things that influence, you know, they've studied creative people or highly yeah. creative people for a long time. And I don't just mean artists. I mean, like, you know, scientists are, sci- you know, amazing scientists. Like, they just released the MacArthur Genius Awards yesterday, the names of those people. And, like, half of them are scientists mm. because, like, science is science. But it also, like, to even allow yourself to think that something is possible in science requires a lot of creative thinking, right? Sure, yeah. Scientists are some of the most creative people. Yeah. And so just this idea that, like... I don't know that that you that you have to get to this place where you know you have mastery of something and and um and the authors of that book talk about mastery as a really important component of creativity because once you've mastered the technical aspects of something like a language or artistic skill or an instrument or you can focus on all the other things that then make it yours, right? Mm-hmm. Like you learn how the technical skill of drawing or painting, but then you can focus on composition and color and like the weirdness, you know? Yeah. Um, that's why in art school, they make you take these like very rote classes around mm. like how to draw things in, from perspective. I mean, I never took those classes because yeah. I'm self-taught, but right. like yep. I'm presuming that's why they do that, right? <laughs> because then once you have those things down, then you're sort of freed up to make that stuff your own or choose to use the parts of it that, you enjoy. Yeah. You know. Did you, uh, is that Rex Young? Do you know the wired to create? No, it's, um, uh, Kaufman and Greg, Gregoire okay. are the last names of the authors. Yeah. Okay. Rex Young does a bunch of, uh, uh, neuroscience around creativity. Yeah. I have not openness to experience. experience. As well. Yeah. I haven't read that book. Wired to create was, um, was one of my go-to books and they're quoted, um, a few times in fine artistic voice. And I highly recommend, I mean, it's, it's more of an academic book, sure. but it's actually written in a way that's really easy to understand. And for anyone who's interested in, um, like creativity research, um, I highly recommend it. I want yeah. to go to openness to experience in a second, but um, uh, before I do, this is just a random tangent. Did you uh, have you seen the movie Arrival? Remind With, me. What's her name? Camera guys, chime in. Amy Adams. They didn't. They didn't give that to me. I got it myself. Uh, Tell me but, the premise. Okay, I see so, so many movies, and I'm not necessarily a movie. Is this a spoiler? Buff. Have you seen it? Yeah. Okay. Spoiler alert. Just fast forward this like 15 seconds if you don't want to know. But the movie's been out for ages, so it's your fault. Anyway, and I won't spoil it for you. No, no, no. <laughs> I've probably this. seen it, but I just need you to remind it's about me. aliens. They come down in these giant sphere things, like big like cylinder-like spaceships. And she's like a linguistics expert. And she's trying to uncode. Yes, the, you yes I have it? seen yeah. it. Yeah. And I love this because it's based in the science that uh, like people that can't talk – it affects their ability to think. So if the, if you've never, if you don't know any language, your brain doesn't work the same as people that know languages. And then every language you learn changes the way that your brain looks, works. It, it changes your ability to think. Mm-hmm. And so in the same way that it just remind I'm inspired by that idea of like when you learn an instrument or a medium or whatever, it's like learning a new language. And all of a sudden 
you're able to excavate things out of yourself that you couldn't exercise without making. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Like my my podcast was like that to me. Like I there was something about doing the podcast that made me realize so much stuff about myself that I didn't know. It changed. You know what I mean? Right. Like you unlock like, different parts of my brain. Well, sure, because you're also in therapy with yourself. You're True. talking. You're yeah. talking to a microphone. <laughs> yeah, that's right. About you know instead of a somebody sitting on a couch. But I think that's why um, a lot of times when we write or when we talk to people about what we're going through, we have these moments where I mean I think even just in the last two days that we've been hanging out, I've had like three like oh my god moments. Yeah, like that's awesome. uh, talking about this stuff that you and I are both passionate about yeah. and like you've said something and I'm like, Oh my God, that's exactly, that's, that's, you know, and that is like, it brings you so much further along in your process when yes. you're able to, 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 to talk about it and express it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about, uh, openness to experience. Yeah. Um, because I think it kind of, I mean, it does what it says on the tin kind of thing. Like it, it is kind of what that phrase means mm -hmm. what it says, but can you talk a little bit about, uh, what that means in terms of the ideas of the book? Sure. So, so it comes up in the book, mostly talking about like, um, towards in the last chapter, I talk about like all the sort of practical things you can do to, yeah. to sort of not... You can't rush finding your voice, but you maybe speed up the process. There are definitely things you can do. And, you can make um, intentional progress. Right, right. And some of them are like make art every day. They're sort of like these things that you can cross off, right? But then some of them are a little bit more uh, out there, you know, mm -hmm. like more sort of mindset changes. And one of them is openness to experience. There's another one that follows that that says think like a beginner. But the openness to experience um, really was one of those things that in my research for the book I learned was so critically important. Um, and that, for example, um, you know, if you are, so, so research says that, that that is one of the most, uh, I say this, like the, it's like one of the top predictors mm -hmm. of, of creative achievement is openness to experience. So if, if you, so what does that mean? Um, it, it it means being open to new solutions and to problems for sure. And that is going to enhance innovation. But it's also things that you wouldn't necessarily imagine. Like, for example, the ability to sit with somebody who's experiencing deep emotional pain, which most of us want to run away from, mm. even if we love mm. the person, right? Like, it's so uncomfortable to be with somebody when they're, they're upset grieving. about something and, and yeah. grieving. Like, that is openness to experience. If you can just get yourself to be with someone's discomfort, yeah. which is sometimes harder than being with our own, right? True, yes. Um, or if you find yourself having a, you know, have you ever walked into a museum and just felt overcome with emotion like you wanted to cry if you were like seeing a piece of art or a collection of art that just moved you? Uh, I don't have that. Do yeah, you have I it with music? I have what movies. With, uh, music? Do it. Music does okay. it to me, yes. So for everybody, it's different. Yep. For me, it's usually more visual, but I also yeah. have that same experience with music, right? Yep. Um, or with being in nature. I went to the Grand Canyon for the first time by myself on a solo road trip when I was in my 30s. Um, and when I was actually, it was sort of at the beginning of my creative journey. And um, I was so overcome with emotion when I saw it for the first time. And I was like in this national park surrounded by tourists oh. and I couldn't <laughs> stop crying. Um, that is openness to experience, yeah. right? Like that if you can allow yourself to sort of be in 
and it's just so it's vulnerability basically um is um that if you can tap into that it you will experience your it allows your brain to sort of like absorb all of these things that then in you know influence sort of what you're making work about or your or this sense of possibility so a lot of times we have ideas about things we want to make and yet we say well that's not possible mm. our brain has already decided that something isn't possible we're all, we always think in terms of limitations versus what's possible and mm. so you know openness to experience requires having a big inner mind right where you're actually um, and this is such hard work. I feel like this is one of the hardest things to do is actually put yourself in the place of somebody who doesn't have the answers, even if you are considered an expert in that thing. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, and as you know, like you and I are both people who people look up to, to be experts in creativity. And right. oftentimes I get questions and I'm like, yeah. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's actually true because, um, uh, I think it's like, important to acknowledge when we don't actually know the answers or even if we do that maybe there's the possibility that there's a different answer or yeah. a different solution and um i feel like as a creative person it's like the more i can get myself into this beginner mind or openness to possibility the better my work becomes mm -hmm. um and of course, there are all kinds of practical things you can follow that up with. Like one of the things I'm working on right now is like a workshop on like ideation and idea generation. And like when you have an assignment as a professional artist and you want to like explode out the best ideas for the project, for the client, or maybe even for your own personal work, like how do you go about that? Mm. So um, what are the, do you want can you talk about that a little well, bit? Well, I am a like huge fan of brainstorming and mind mapping. Mm -hmm. Um, it's been transformational in my own creative practice and in, in just sort of like making big changes in my life. But, um, but I, I have so much to learn about that and how to do it better. So that's one of the things I'm really wanting to learn more about. I have uh, a few different directions there, but oh. can you just tell me, because you were talking about mind mapping last night and I was mm -hmm. really interested in that. Mm -hmm. What does that process look for, like for you? Just if I wanted to do what, when would you use that? What, you know, what problems are you trying to solve or what, you try, what are you trying to explore and how do you go about doing it? Well, for me, and again, I think there's probably a lot of ways to sure. do it. I know um, you're not, you don't have to be an expert to talk on it. I know. Just tell, it's so I funny. Know, my, you're an ex expert compared to me. My I know former um, editor was like, Lisa, don't be afraid to be authoritative. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I still struggle. I'm so much more authoritative than I've ever been. But yeah. like, I still sometimes I'm like, especially with things that I don't have a ton of experience with. And sure. mind mapping is something I talk about a lot, but I'm, I'm, I'm not like, there are people who are like professional mind mappers. Sure. But anyways, you start with like the problem or the idea, or even just one word, and you, it, for me, it's a very visual process, but you you write the thing, you draw a circle around it, and then you make a web, right? And you sort of explode out um, that thing. Um, and it depends on the, the question or the topic, but you kind of, and then say you, it's, uh, you draw you're basically drawing a web and so then yeah. there's a line from the circle and then that flows out to another circle and then from there um so it's a way to sort of brainstorm possibilities for anything mm. um and i know i'm being super general no but, it's fine um, I, i'm yeah. just interested yeah, yeah, when, yeah when do you what prompts you doing one um 
oh gosh, anything from like, I'm bored with uh, my routine. Like, how can I break up my routine to... I get an assignment from an art director and I'm stumped mm. about ideas or I don't like any of the d- ideas they've given me. Yeah. I might do a brainstorming around that that uses that kind of visual mind mapping. Um, any kind of like problem solving. Yeah. I, I'm, you know, sometimes I'm using it all the time. Sometimes I don't use it for months. So that's uh, uh, super interesting. I, uh, when you're talking about openness to experience it, I saw like a parallel to something I've, tried to explore on the podcast, um, but it gave me a bunch of new layers to it. Uh, This idea of the creative people that I look up to most seem to be um, able to acquire new tastes. So just like, you know, I used to not like IPAs and whiskey and now I do, but it was because the first time I tasted them, I wasn't judgmental about them. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me of, do you th- is that kind of a similar? Th- is there a parallel there? Acquired taste to openness to experience, like the when you're not like you're not judging a thing as like oh I already know what this is going to be. Yeah, and it's tricky because, well, you and I talk about this a lot, yeah. just in our friendship. But like this idea of taste, right? That there's just sort of these things that we're attracted to, mm-hmm. and that these things that you know it's like actually even in the formation of your artistic voice, part of what helps you form that is like you're 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 consuming visual information constantly and you're filtering all of it as I either like that or I'm drawn to that or that is ugly. And we don't even necessarily know why we think Uh those things. I mean, I definitely, as you and I both agree, there are reasons why you like and don't like things and you have to unpack that if you're interested in it. But, um, and so honoring that you like or don't like certain things visually is important. You don't have to force yourself necessarily to, to be a different kind of creative person. But I do also think that when you have a certain level of openness to experience, you're A, going to be less judgmental about other people's creative paths, even Mm -hmm. though they might be different than yours, Um, even though you might not. I mean, there's so many artists out there whose work I would never hang in my house. Yeah. But I have so much respect for them as creative people and thinkers and forces in the world, right? Yeah. And I can appreciate their work for what it is. It's just not my style. Um, And so there's that's one factor. And then another is like when you are open to seeing things differently, I do think it changes your work. Mm -hmm. And I do think that... um, that it can make your work different or better to to be open to something that, as you say, is like like trying a food that you know and discovering you actually like it. Uh-huh. Um, I was so averse to digital drawing forever. Like I so judgy about people who <laughs> I was like I only had to make I only made vector work when I had to for a uh-huh. client, and I was like all about like paper and gouache and. Yeah. Ink. And then um, I got really bad um, tendonitis in my arm. And from because part of being an illustrator is I was making that stuff by hand. And then I was like taking scanning it, putting it in Photoshop and manipulating it. And I was spending so much time on my trackpad and all these like bad ergonomic situations to try to Mm. like get my work ready for print. And my doctor was like, there's got to be a different way to do this. And so (laughs) I got an iPad and started just and it's sped up my process so much that I don't spend as much time in Photoshop. And I'm also like, you know, can undo things so quickly. And so I'm just not spending as much time drawing, yeah, but I'm also good. also drawing more. Um, and now I've figured out a way to make my digital drawings look like paintings. So sometimes people can't even tell the difference. Yeah. And so 
that's like I finally became open actually out of necessity to having to use this tool, which I was so averse to. Mm. And now I feel like it's transformed my work in a million positive ways. Um, and I, my life and my work have changed because of the iPad in a way that like, I mean, of course I'm taking a sabbatical next year. And the first thing I want to do is start painting with yeah. paints again and like yeah. make big paintings. Like I miss that other thing, but I also can appreciate how much my openness to this new way of doing things had consequences that I could never have imagined. And imagine if I had just, I had just shut myself off to, to that, you know, I was having a conversation the other day with a friend who um, is a fine artist. She lives in Seattle and she has a mentor who's a pretty well-known painter. And she was talking about how he is super old school, right? Like he's in his seventies and she's like, have you ever thought about doing this? Have you ever thought about doing this? And he's like, no, I don't do that. No, I don't do that. And she's like, well, you like, would you like to do that? And he said, oh yes, but I can't, I don't. And I feel like, Artists in our generation and sort of like we kind of came of age in this world where doing things many different ways and using different tools became acceptable. You didn't just have to paint. You didn't just have to draw digitally. You could be a graphic designer and an illustrator. You could be a surface designer and a fine artist. Like you could do what everything. And there used to be all these rules that said you can't, you know, and I think inherently we are more open to artists working in whatever way makes them happy and that doesn't necessarily take the value out of their work and so I feel like it's an amazing time to be an artist because we have all these tools available to us that you know in generations before ours you know with the exception of maybe David Hockney who is like (laughs) you know it's the one of the most open older guys I've ever you know I don't know him personally obviously but like you know experienced and um but you know we're so we're so lucky, mm, you know. Absolutely, I, it's, your story about as tendonitis is that what yeah. it was? It reminds me of um, like sometimes, like when you're reading about story structure, they say that uh, rarely does the hero say yes to the journey willingly, and almost always the journey forces itself right. on them. And so like, that's a good situation of like, you were forced to be open or you're at least forced to reevaluate what you were doing. Well, and I think when hard things happen, whether like there's sickness or illness or an injury or the death of someone you love or whatever, like those are the moments where actually you often have the most clarity about what matters and mm, what's important totally to you. True. Yeah. yeah. And so I don't actually think you can develop skill or taste or, any of those things without struggle. <laughs> yeah. That, and actually, uh, I think the really interesting thing there is although you were forced to, with this obstacle, the maybe the real mental gymnastics that's necessary is what do you do when you're in the face of an obstacle? Because this happens to me all the time, right? Like a client will put me in a circumstance where I'm like pissed and I'm having a tantrum with my agent and I'm like, I can't, oh, why do they do that? Like, I don't have, like, they just ruined the friggin' thing and now I only have this much time to do it. And often it's in those little like tight spots mm-hmm. where all of a sudden I have to be like, well, what matters? How do I make this good? And I, one other thing I think it does is it force you into making choices in your taste rather than your skill or rather than, you know, f- trial and error over long, you know, being whatever. It makes you get to what, what could I do in two hours that is that I still think is good, mm-hmm. and it and forces still makes me. them happy. Yeah, yeah. It still makes them happy. And I think that that uh, so the my point is there's a bunch of people that 
when they get tendonitis or when they are forced or they come to an obstacle that they shut down as, well, I can't possibly like the, it reminds me that there's a stoic principle that says the obstacle is the way like the obstacle is the thing. hundred percent. Yeah. That makes, yeah, exactly. Can you, is that, does that remind, is that like connected to, mm-hmm. why do you say that? I, Cause I don't want to well, just Well, because I think for the same reason that I said what I just said, which is like, I don't think that, y- that, it, I mean, like life is hard, like just yeah. hard, hard stuff happens you can every single day. Hard, By the way, hard s- shit happens. Hard shit happens. <laughs> um, and one of the things that I learned in my path was, so I used to be one of those people who felt like she had no agency and so something bad would happen and I would either wallow in self-pity or I would, and and simultaneously not do anything to change the situation. And then I finally yeah. woke up and, you know, was like, oh, wait a second. I have, you know, what if I tried on a different hat and decided that I actually, there was the possibility that I could create a life that was happy and where I wasn't constantly feeling like a victim. Mm. And um, certainly there are situations where I still feel like a victim, like somebody, like a client does something that really pisses me off. Yeah. And then, yeah, so then it's always like, okay, in those moments, which are the harder moments, I think we're less motivated to make good work or do good in the world or less inspired to be a better person when we're not confronted with struggle like what would be the point you could just if if everything was easy all the time you'd just be sliding along doing your thing yeah um and so it, it everybody experiences hardship and pain i guess it's sort of like how you choose to use that to sort of move and grow um on your path versus how it how you're or allowing it to keep you stuck as an excuse to keep you stuck and um, we all know they're yeah. not necessarily, I think I don't want to make this too binary. There's not like just two kinds of people in the world. No. One who use obstacles <laughs> yeah. and those who use them get as an excuse. Yeah, get yeah. crushed by them. I think there's definitely middle ground. And one of the things that I've learned in my 51 years is that things are not always black and white. So, but I do think that those are two sort of general categories. And I always remind myself that I have the choice to uh, not necessarily escape pain, but use that pain to be a better person yeah. or a better artist or a better whatever, whatever that means, whatever better means, yeah. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, One thing I just want to add to that, because I think it's, um, it reminds me of, again, building on that stoic principle, building on openness to experience, one of the, like, I think we're all open to things that seem good. Like almost everybody would be open to winning the lottery. Like we're like, yeah, great. That's how I'll take that. And there's a, there's a stoic idea of non-judgment, like, uh, reserving your judgment to later on all things, because they say that, you know, lots of people's lives have been ruined by winning the lottery. Lots of people's lives have been made by losing their job. And so that, like that approach to, I think that for yeah, me, not that's labeling kind of, things as yes. good or bad. That's a very yeah. sort of Buddhist principle yes, too. True. So like um, that thing that 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 experiences are just experiences, and um, it's how you show up for them that and matters. That's, the that's most. how you get yeah, yeah, open. Yeah. I get. Of course, I'm gonna like sit and everybody knows that listen to this show knows that the most esoteric 
abstract idea of this whole thing is the one that I camped out at most, um, openness to experience. I could just keep thinking about that. Um, but, uh, I wanted to ask you out of everything you learn in this book, what is something that you think is, if you could only tell people one thing from the book that makes a difference in your journey on finding your voice, what would it be? Show up and do the work. Um, it, I think I talk about this in the book. There, you know, there's this notion that, um, especially now in this day and age, like so many amazing artists and designers, you know, are online, and and we're all seeing like their finished work, mm-hmm. and and I think we imagine that um, that they were as talented and prolific and confident, you know, uh, from the day they started making yeah. art to, you know, nobody sees what's underneath all of that. And, and every, every one of your heroes has struggled and continues to struggle. Every one of your heroes experiences the same feelings of insecurity about their work that you do. And that fact should actually, in my opinion, is like the most hopeful thing because Mm -hmm. it's like, finding your voice isn't this experience that that's reserved for a few innately talented people. It's really something that if you show up and you're disciplined enough to keep showing up and working through your frustration or, you know, whatever, you know, gap there is between your skills and your taste or, you know, all of the stuff that, that is hard. If you show up for that and continue at it, you you'll find it. You will. It might take you longer than somebody else and it might take somebody else longer than you. But if you continue to show up and, make a concerted effort to sort of learn and grow and get better at whatever it is you want to get better at, no matter whether you're a musician or a writer or a visual artist. Um, if you keep showing up, you can't help, you can't do something every day yeah. and not get better at it and not find your own niche in that thing. Yep. Um, and, um, and that's, you know, I always say like if I could condense the book into one sentence, it would just like be, keep making art or show yeah. up and do the work because I think people want to avoid it. They, they think it's some magic pill they can take that all of a sudden they're going to wake up and, but no, unfortunately you just have to like make a lot of fucking art. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's all. That's that's, it. it seems like a huge, um, and that's both like overwhelming to think yeah. about, but it's also like kind of a relief. Like it's not magic. It's just work. Yes. So everyone who chooses to show up and Put do in the, the work, time, yeah, yeah and like it, we'll uh, get there. A huge theme that uh, shows up in the book, I feel like, is quantity leads to quality. Like that's yep. that's the kind of if you just keep making stuff. And I I've said this a bunch of times. If you're not making piles of work, you're doing it wrong. Like mm-hmm. if you're not, if that's not. And one of the things I there's certain. I feel like musicians more than anything. I don't know why. This is just me being judgmental about musicians. I have a lot of musician friends. I feel like they don't make enough songs. Like just. Like it makes shitty demos. Just make tons of shit. And if you do that, you will. You can cut out all of yeah. the stuff that sucks yeah. and lean into the uh, other stuff. But if you're not making stuff, you're not really progressing. That's right. Or you're not going to discover those like, you know. I mean, I when I did that experiments in blue project in 2016, where I was like yeah. mostly painting in blue for the entire. Which, year. by the way, I said I think you started blue, <laughs> blue as a cultural thing, a cultural moment. I um, feel that's true, whether you're going to take it or not. But not my whole kitchen it. is blue, and I think yeah. it's because my wife was like Obsessed. loving your work yeah. and just like blue. It's just yeah. Well, I like blue too, and actually, my house is mostly blue really? too because <laughs> I decorated around that year yeah. when we moved to Portland. But anyways, um, yeah, like I think that that uh, you know. 
sort of like the constraints of that and the, you know, like forced me to, you know, the production every day forced me to make a lot of crap. Like I half the stuff in that project I can't even look at. I couldn't even put it on the screen in my power in my like PowerPoint presentation. Yeah. <laughs> but like there were three or four things in that entire year that were game changers for me in terms of the direction of my work and discoveries I made. And um that is way more, you know, like the the cumulative value of the entire year's work is important, but um it's not because everything I did was successful. No. I love that you said that because all of my long-term projects, uh, like Nod that we've talked about, like I made a character every weekday for a year. Yeah. And at the end of it, I feel like there were four characters I made that have stayed in my work. And for yeah. part of me is like, man, that's all that came from that. But it, 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 it's, it's huge. Those little things right. that, yeah, compound One over last time. story yes. on that topic. I was traveling around. This is way before I started around the time I started making art, uh, yeah. early early 2000s, I went to Thailand uh, with a friend and she was a professional photographer and I was getting into photography. In fact, that could easily have been my path mm. if I hadn't discovered painting and drawing. And um, so I had a Holga, which is like this yeah. like plastic Russian camera that I taped up. Yeah. And then I had my like, I, did, was, I didn't have a digital camera yet because I, I had a film camera because digital photography was just kind of like those cameras were too expensive at the mm -hmm. time. And so I did DS, uh, a, not a digital, but a, like a SLR SLR. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I took so many photos and just, we went to the most beautiful places and I was so excited to come back and take my film and yeah. to be developed. And I remember spending like what at the time seemed like so much money to get these photos, rolls and rolls of photos mm. developed. We were there for like three weeks and I picked them up and I looked at the, I got in my car and I couldn't wait. And I just started yeah. looking at them. And I, I was so overwhelmed with disappointment <laughs> because literally out of every role, maybe one photo was really good. And so I called Sue and yeah. I, my friend, who's the professional photographer, mm -hmm. and I, I think I was crying. <laughs> and she was like, Lisa, are you kidding? That's amazing. <laughs> Like total change. That She's like that, that you got one really good photo out of each role. Like that is amazing. I wanted them all to be amazing. Yeah. And that was like, that was one of those mind blowing moments for me. Cause I repeat that story a lot Yeah, I love because, it. um, here was this experienced person being like, no, that's amazing. And then of course, over time I go back and I was like way more than one in each role sure. was amazing. It's just yep. that, you know, again, my taste level versus my skill level yeah. at the time. There was a gap there. Um, yep. And I realized that there were probably more than one in each role that were really good, but I had such high expectations that I was very disappointed. But, but that's such a great lesson, right? Like you have to turn out a volume of crap to get yes. the one diamond. Yeah, Seth Godin says that the people that have good ideas have tons of bad ideas. Yeah. Uh, I think that's totally true. Well, thank you for doing this. Yeah. This is uh, one of my favorite conversations. I love talking to you because I feel like you and I are both uh, spiritual people, people that like mystical side of life and, you know, and then yet when it comes to creativity, something that most people see as mystical and mysterious, we get very pragmatic and like, here's how you do it. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> it's so weird. But I, there's something about that that is just super refreshing to me. So thank you so much. For Thanks for having this. me. This was super fun. Lisa, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for coming out to Columbus and doing the event and hanging out. We had dinner. We did the interview. We hung out. We, we did the talks together. 
Uh, it was, we had the most tremendous time putting on this event together. And it was just, I'd met, I've met Lisa a handful of times and I would have said we were already friends, but uh, now I feel like we're really good friends. And it was just a blast hanging out with you. And thanks for being on the show again. Thanks for all of the work that you do for creative people. It has such a tremendous impact. And I'm so glad to... Uh, yeah, get to work alongside you on this mission, if you will. Thanks again, Lisa. Go check out her new book, Find Your Artistic Voice. I think it's going to have a big impact on your creative career. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for our soundtrack. Thanks for... Thanks to Chris Graham for audio assistance uh, of Chris Graham Mastering and the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. If you're in the audio space trying to make a living, you should go check that out. Thanks to all of you for listening for five years. And until next week, stay pepped up. Stay pepped up.